0: We all make mistakes and I need to know the whole story, not part of the story, the whole story. Integrity is not the absence of lying, it's sharing everything because then we'll get people together, we can solve problems. And that's my job is kind of bring people together. And so leading today is really about that, bringing people together around a common purpose.
1: The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast. I'm Marcel Schwantes, executive coach, speaker, Inc. contributing editor and creator of the From Boss to Leader program. Glad you are here. And please share this episode with someone in a leadership role. And hey, if you like today's show, would you do us a quick favor? Go to iTunes and drop us a positive review and a five-star rating. We would be grateful for that. So back in 2007, a book entitled Discover Your True North It became an instant best-selling leadership classic. It's written by Bill George. And that book captured our imagination of what it really meant to be an authentic leader. Bill George gave us hundreds of personal anecdotes and case studies from his interviews with the world's top CEOs and founders, including Warren Buffett, Arianna Huffington, Jack Ma, Mike Bloomberg, Mark Zuckerberg, and, and many others. So what I love about that book and really the work of Bill George over the years is that it shines the light on a hard truth for all leaders. Being a leader is about much more than, you know, title, status, or even management skills. It's really fundamentally a question of who we are as human beings. So Bill George is back with a new book aimed at the next generation of leaders and this one is aptly titled True North Emerging Leader Edition released by Wiley and also co-authored by millennial entrepreneur Zach Clayton. So this new edition of True North calls emerging leaders to, to really step up to lead their organizations with their hearts not just with their heads as authentic leaders who lead with purpose by you know inspiring people and by coaching people. So I feel it's an important book because in the words of of Bill himself, it kind of heralds the end of this baby boomer era of Jack Welch when too many leaders just focused on maximizing shareholder value, you know, taking shortcuts rather than serving all stakeholders, right? So this book, just like his, his first edition has lots of stories, lots of stories which come from hundreds of Bill's interviews with exceptional leaders. And just to be real here, he also chronicles the dangers of leading without True North, including case studies of, well, some very familiar names, which we will be discussing shortly. So here we are, it's 2022, and we are at a critical juncture in time when we are so split and divided in, on so many issues that really affect the business world and the workplace. So in Bill George's work, he offers the best hope for all of us, and that is to empower the next generation of emerging leaders, not not just those at the top, to follow their true north and to make this world better for everyone. So if you're just being introduced to Bill George, well, he is the former chairman and CEO of Medtronic and he's currently a senior fellow at Harvard Business School, where he has taught leadership since 2004. So besides True North, he's also written other best-selling classics you may be familiar with, including Authentic Leadership and Seven Lessons for Leading in Crisis, among others. Bill has served on the boards of Goldman Sachs, ExxonMobil, Novartis, Target, Mayo Clinic. He holds an MBA with high distinction from Harvard University and honorary PhDs from several universities. And I'm honored to announce that Bill George now joins us. Welcome, Bill, to the Love in Action podcast.
0: Marcel, thank you for having me. And you know, I'm thrilled to be here because I love the title, Love in Action. When I was growing up, first going into business many, many years ago, love was not a word that came into discussions. And I could never figure out why. Uh, That was an era where, you know, in the old era, we used to leave with our hands. But in my era, you know, it was all about leading with your heads. And I think today it's about leading with your heart. And if the heart is not about love, that's where love resides. And why shouldn't we lead with our hearts in business and bring our whole humanity there? And I really fought against a workplace, which was. Very much check your values, check your feelings and passions and your love at the door. Just come in and do the job. Bring your brain power. But, you know, then you're just bringing part of yourself. So I love the approach you're using because isn't that why we're a place here on Earth? To love each other.
1: Yeah, you're right. And, you know, I wish I could take all the credit for the title. You know where I got that from? I, I, well, Ken Blanchard, he, um, he said that servant leadership is love in action. I don't remember, I think it was with a conversation I had with him or or a, a video I, I watched of him. But anyway, so the 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 saying stuck with me. So I took love in action. And I felt that that's sort of my leadership approach. Of course, you know, um, the word love we were talking offline, right? Word love ha- is very off-putting in the business world. Uh, very, very few people actually use it as in a practical sense, but that's what we're really talking about, right? Bill, I mean, it's 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 business as a practical. Actionable um, love, right? That, uh, that ends up in results and, and, and empowering others. Yes.
0: And isn't it love to help someone reach their full potential? Isn't it love to, to have a product that can save someone's life? And so it's got to be in action. It's not just, oh, I love people, but I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. Uh, it's really. How do you put it in action? And that's the key for so many emerging leaders today. They want to do that, by the way. This generation, very different than the baby boomers. They want to do that kind of thing. Not kind of thing. They want to show that they love and they care about each other.
1: So, Bill, I have so many questions for you about this latest edition and all the interviews you conducted and your research. But I want to get one tradition out of the way first. It's tradition here on the show. So we want to know about Bill George, the person and how you've arrived in, in your own quest, you know, to discover your own true north. So here we go. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> What's your story, Bill? I was, uh, I'm the only
0: child of older parents. I grew up in Michigan. I thought my father was a good consultant. He took me aside when I was about nine or 10 and said, son, I feel like I failed to become the leader I should have been. And uh, I'd like you to become that leader. So I'd like you to make up for my failures. Kind of a heavy trip for a 9- or 10-year-old kid. But uh, that gun, kind of, I was pushing him away while I was taking it in. And he even suggested, he said, you know, you could head up a major company, son, and even name companies. Like he said, I've held stock in this company, Atlanta, Georgia, since 1937. It's called the Coca-Cola Company. You could be head of that company. Or if not that, then there's another company, Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, and a new computer company on the East Coast called IBM. As it turned out, I actually had summer jobs at all these companies. They're a great companies. It's not where I wound up, but I can tell you, uh, I didn't even know what it meant to be a leader. And so I joined a lot of organizations in junior high and high school. I was never chosen to lead anything, no organization, never elected a student council. Uh, and, uh, I was a good enough tennis player to be, uh, play college tennis at Georgia Tech. Yet, uh, I wasn't even co-captain of my tennis team. So finally my senior year, I put my hat in the ring, said, so I'm going to run for president senior class. And I thought I would be a great president. And I ran against one other person. When the votes came in, I lost by a margin of two to one. So you can see the kids in my school didn't see me as a leader because I wasn't, because I really hadn't learned that leadership was all about uh, relationships. So I went off to Georgia Tech, great school, but in part, I wanted a fresh start. So I Run for office six more times down at Georgia Tech. I lost all six. So I'm feeling pretty bad, like a loser. Over 7. Best thing that ever happened to me. Some seniors at Georgia Tech took me aside and said, Bill, no one's ever going to want to work with you, much less be led by you, because you're moving so fast to get ahead, you don't take time for other people. And, you know, that was like a blow to the solar plexus. But they were right, because uh, it was true. It was like I'm building a resume, Instead of building a life, and uh, and so I spent about a year doing my own uh, self-help development program, thinking about what did it really mean, talking to a lot of people, reading a lot, uh, realizing all the things I wasn't, and uh, and uh, how I was much more oriented towards myself. I wanted a title that it was going to come with leadership, but did I really want to be there for people to care about people? I thought I cared about people, but I wasn't expressing it. I wasn't showing it, and so I was fortunate to. Hold a number of leadership roles at at Georgia Tech, and then I went off straight through to Harvard Business School, had similar opportunities there, and then came out, and uh, I I mentioned I'm an only child of older parents. Well, four months after I I graduated, I was working for the uh, uh, CFO of the Department of Defense. I got called out of a meeting. My father was on the phone to say my mother had died that uh, morning, and uh, I was really devastated. Because my mother was the epitome of love. She didn't care if I got A's or C's. She was the person for whom I've learned love and the values. And all my, all she wanted me to do was be true to my values and make me, you know, make her proud of me. I've tried to do that in all these years since she died, but like, 50 years ago. Uh, but, uh, I recovered my mother's death and got engaged to married. Uh, a woman lived about three blocks away from us in Washington and, uh, uh, which she started having some headaches about six weeks before the wedding, but we doctors didn't think there was anything going on there. She goes back home to Georgia where she lived to prepare for the wedding. I talked during a Saturday night, saying all the plans very next morning phone rings. She died that morning of a malignant brain tumor. And I was devastated even more than my mother's death. Cause I explained that in natural order of things. Here's the woman I love gone. Never had a chance to say goodbye. And, uh, What's life all about? Here's a 25-year-old doing great work in Appalachia, uh, you know, and so even though I'm a person of faith. Uh, and I tell you, what saved me was all the friends who came around me and there and showed their love. And uh, for me, during that time, because being an only child, that, uh, you know, that's what really got me through that difficult period. And sometimes in life, one door closes, another one opens, and a few months later, I met a woman at a dinner party. She became my wife Penny, and we just had our 53rd wedding anniversary. So you never know in life why things happen. Because I feel so blessed being with Penny it has been the light of my life. But you know, I still had in the back of my mind, I'm going to be some kind of great leader, right? And I'm going to run a major company. So I started the consumer microwave business, but then I went to Honeywell. Say, this is the company. I'm president of Honeywell Europe. Come back early, get a two-step promotion, worst promotion in my life. Because I like being with people. I like being with customers. Here I had this huge bureaucracy, nine divisions, three groups, chasing nothing but turnarounds, chasing numbers all the time. I'm actually very good at that, immodestly, but it's true. And but that's not what i where my heart was. That's not what I want to do. I want to be a builder. I want to build organizations of great people. So uh one day, uh on I'm on my third set of turnarounds, and uh I'm grabbing for that brass ring up there to try to be the CEO of this great global company. And I'm even changing the way I act and behave and uh, saying just the right thing to the board, just the right thing to management, wearing cufflinks, which I don't wear, uh, trying to be the man. And everyone else could see I was totally inauthentic, except me. So I'm one day I'm driving home. It's only 10 minutes from where I work to where I live. And uh, my wife, Penny, and I have a good relationship. I have two sons and junior high and high school. Uh, we have lots of friends. On the outside, everything was great. I looked myself in the mirror. What I saw was a miserable person. You know, i flash in the mirror. You'd get, I was miserable because I was losing him. And I had no passion for Honeywell's mission. Honeywell's mission was making money. And that wasn't what turned me on. And I was so isolated from the people. I had 26,000 people, but I was very isolated from them. So I I told my wife this. She said, Bill, I've been trying to tell you this for a year. You just refuse to listen, which is true. So I went to my men's group. I've had a men's group that meets uh, and came out of an, uh, an off-site seminar in love that uh, meets every Wednesday morning. And then we met 15 years. We're still meeting 45 years later, believe it or not. Wow. A couple of guys have died. Uh, but it's great because we share our stories just like we are now. And I told him what I was feeling. And I said, well, you turned my trying down for a job three three times. Why would you do that? I said, well, you'll see the ego coming up. I thought I was going to run a big company. I meant trying to try come a mid-sized company. Why don't you give it a shot? So I thought about what's really important in life. And I uh, called the CEO back and said, you can get in line. Talked with him, some board members. And then I met with the founder. And he didn't even want to interview me about my, he wasn't interested in anything I'd done. He wanted to know, did I buy into the mission of restoring people to full life and health? And I remember accepting the job and walking through the door. And I felt like I was coming home. To work with a group of people. We had a common purpose, a common set of values, and we could really help each other. I could grow and they could grow. And it was the best experience of my professional life. So uh, thanks to that uh, (laughs) bad time, uh, sometimes (laughs) good times come out. And so uh, that kind of triggered everything that's happened since. So that's my story and I'm stuck with it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you shared that, Bill. I don't know how often you actually get to uh, you know, share that, that part of your life, but I just think that it adds so much depth to the conversation that we're going to have. Well, I actually do Marcel in the classroom, because I don't want people to
0: see me as the CEO, just a human, just a guy trying to go through life and yeah. coping the same cha- challenges everyone else has had. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're very human. Okay. So I want to connect the dots because not um, every listener may know the the history behind the original uh true north book release so uh, can you take us a little bit down memory lane and just kind of share maybe maybe what what true north is how how do you arrive how do leaders arrive back then at their true north right connect the dots to you know how do we become more authentic leaders
0: yeah i'm going to go back even before that to the 90s when i was ceo i felt at variance with a lot of my fellow CEOs. 'Cause for them it was how much how much money they made, what kind of bonuses they got, uh how what their stock price was worth. It's kinda like I am my stock price. And to me, when if you ever get to the point where your self worth is based on your net worth, you're in deep trouble. And so I want to write a book about a different way of looking at leadership, not command and control out of the old military style, not directing people, not the leaders up on top. But really, what did it mean to be real, to be authentic? So I wrote a book called Authentic Leadership. Our dean said, Bill, you wrote a book about your own experiences. Why don't you write from others' experiences? So I went out and interviewed 125 people initially for the 2007 book. And uh, I wasn't sure where we were going. And you know what they want to talk about? My colleagues at Harvard, being good academics, they said, give us the eight characteristics of successful leaders. So I'd ask people, what made you successful? I so said, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about who I am, where I came from. I want to talk about what it's like having no money and work at the counter, gro- corner grocery store and learning it's all about the last three feet between me and the customer. Uh, that's how I serve. And I never forgot that. And a lot of these people had gone through one of my talk interviewed was a man named John Hope Bryant, who later wrote a book called Love Leadership. He was a homeless man. And he'd come to my class and talk about what it's like to be homeless. He's now running a great organization to help people with financial literacy he called Operation Hope. But the point is, these are real stories. Academics kind of like third-person stories. These are here first time, first person, and people really will open up and tell you the challenges they face. And really, they were shaped by the challenges they face, not by their success story or how they've been wildly uh, achieved and how they got promoted. It was really more about Early in life issues, the challenges they'd face. And that's where they grew as leaders. And so never, and that's how I, I built the book around this. It was never accepted by the academics. But what I really wanted to do was impact the CEOs and the leadership community and human resource and people who wanted to lead thinking differently about their leadership. And so true north, we stumbled into the phrase, but it really became Marcel, who you are. Do we know who we are? And is it okay to be who I am? There are a lot of people, there are a lot of phonies out there that kind of, I don't want to be vulnerable. I, I never say, I love you. I would say, you know, I want to pretend to be the man, you know, and that's, I'd fallen in that trap at Honeywell. So I really trying to help people. You can, the best kind of leader is just to be who you are isn't that, and be like that person. What's the best way you've ever had? you had someone like that, be real, be human, be caring about people. And so that's really what uh, True North is all about.
1: Mm. Well, how is this edition of True North and different from that first classic that you wrote back, what, in 2007, I believe?
0: Yes. Well, we need a new generation of leaders to step up. We've got a lot of problems. And if you think about ourselves, the last 20 years, today's leaders I grew up in an area where it was fairly stable times, 60s, 70s through the 90s, and you know there are little ups and downs, but it was really pretty stable times. And uh, and all the business schools taught leading, you know, management, uh, process control, accounting, and all this. That's not what it's all about. That's not about leadership. And so I, I, in the last 20 years, leaders have had to lead in crisis, starting with 9/11. They've lived through this. They went through the global financial meltdown in 2008, followed by the Great Recession. They lived through COVID and it's had more transformative impact. We don't even know what it's going to be, but it's, it's enormous. Then a war, which none of us experienced that kind of war. Uh, like it reminds people, of, you know, reminds us of, you know, the 1940s, you know, early 40s, horrible time. And, uh, but it's, there's a lot of fallout. There's inflation. There's all these recessions. So I think leaders today need to look at it differently. And today's employees, we've moved from shareholder primacy to the stakeholder model where what really matters are your employees and your customers. And employees today have agency. They say, if you don't care about me, I don't want to work here. If you don't have a sense of purpose for your company, I don't want to work here. If you don't, if you're not concerned about climate. If you're not. Don't accept everyone as equal. I don't want to work here. And so that's what's led to this so-called great resignation. But I think it's really about creating a kind of environment as a leader that cares for everyone and brings them in. And so I'm asking and trying to inspire emerging leaders to kind of hear that call. I heard the call with John F. Kennedy, even though I never met him back in the early 60s when I was in college. I think there's a call out there that we need a new generation. The baby boomers had their shot. Now's the time for the new generation to step up. And I do feature some baby boomer leaders that I think are kind of the forerunners of today's era. Ken Frazier at Merck, Indra Nui at PepsiCo, Ursula Burns at Xerox, uh, Mary Barra at General Motors, Paul Pullman. So these are baby boomers, but they really are ones that represent the new wave of leadership
1: yeah yeah so okay you meant so sticking with the emerging leadership um you know you co-author this is very curious for me you co-author this one with a millennial zach clayton founder and ceo of three ships so what's the story behind you know that partnership i mean how did that evolve
0: i don't jack uh zach is a student at harvard business school and uh when, when he got out in two thousand nine. He uh, founded a company. It was doing social media. And so I hired him to be, I was his first client to do, teach me about social media. And I'm a great believer in reverse mentoring. So if you want to stay young, have younger mentors, not just older mentors and which I had too. But, uh, and he taught me so much about, uh, leadership in that era and his, he's a very successful entrepreneur, but he's had his own struggles in his company and getting it launched and getting it going. And now he's wildly successful, but. We also have been writing together, and he was kind of behind the scenes uh, in writing articles. But I said, Zach, I'd like you to be the co-author. And we've had a great exchange because if you're going to talk about emerging leaders, we need to have one of the emerging leaders be an author. And so he's had some wonderful ideas for the book. So we've uh, worked very closely together, and I feel privileged
1: to have him as a co-author. That's great. Okay, Bill, so what does it mean? Point blank here. What does it mean to lead with your true north in 2022 i mean has leadership changed
0: yes it's definitely changed it's no longer command and control it means to know what's that sense of who you are and being real and then enabling everyone around you to be real people want to be real but they're afraid they're afraid to show their vulnerabilities they're afraid to admit their mistakes we need to make that very legitimate vulnerability is power As one of my former students, John O'Brien, who was homeless, said, vulnerability is power. Be real and admit your mistakes. I would tell people at Medtronic when I went there back in 1989, look, uh, we all make mistakes. And I need to know the whole story, not part of the story, the whole story. Integrity is not the absence, of lying, it's sharing everything. Because then we'll get people together, we can solve problems. And that's my job, is kind of bring people together. And so leading today is really about that bringing people together around a common purpose, uh, the purpose of your company. And uh, when you have that greater purpose, and Medtronic, ours was restoring people to full life and health. But other people have, you know, I mean, Hubert Jolie at Best Buy, my close colleague, he created an environment to try to give joy to people's lives through technology. So yeah. that shared purpose is what enables us to work together as a team, like like a sports team. We have a goal of You know, whatever it is, winning the championship, it's only because we play together as a team, we have a common purpose.
1: Yeah, but the key, I think, Bill, is for people to understand that they first have to discover themselves and really examine. I mean, you really have to be introspective almost to examine your life story in great detail. Is that right? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and in my era, I didn't come out of an introspective era. I think everyone needs to be introspective. In fact, I would say take twenty minutes a day, put away all the electronics, put away your task lists, and just think about how did I show up today? What kind of leader was I? Uh, and how well did I? How did I inspire people? Was I doing what really is fulfilling? Not every day will be a good day, but take that time to ask yourself those questions. So, yeah, I remember walking by a table. Uh, I don't know where we were at a meeting or something with Jack Welsh and Larry Bossidy. And you know, one of them said to, uh, I think Larry said to Jack, you know, I think, I think introspection's for sissies. Boy, they get that wrong. I think we need to do that. We need to reflect and our, you know, on how we're showing up. And uh, so I think that's key to leadership today. You have to know who you are and you only know who you are by dissecting your life story to going through your crucibles like I went through with the death of my mother and fiance and you know losing all those elections knowing who I am and when you know who you are then you can go out and inspire and lead other people right
1: That's great. okay I love that we set it up like that but there's also the flip side and that is when you don't lead with your true north So what happens and do you have some illustrations about that?
0: I sure do because you know the the, cre- the three great seducers, you might never have your true north or you might get pulled off course. I was getting pulled off course at Honeywell wanting that title, just like I did in my president senior class. Yeah. Why is yeah. the title so? Bad? The three great seducers are money, fame and power. You know, I am my net worth or myself worth my net worth or, uh, you know, I want to be famous. You can go up and come down very quickly or having power other people today. It's not about, it. it's about empowering people. It's not about holding power over other people. So what happens people get caught up with that? Uh, I'll give you an example of a guy that everyone thought walked down water is Mark Zuckerberg, highly successful entrepreneur, created a great social dating site or meeting site to his credit, great site. But then he got carried away with how much money he was making, and he knew that the company's stock price depended on how many people they had in their so-called follower base. They got allowed a lot of bad people to come in there that did very dangerous things. Cambridge Analytica was one of them that was spreading lies about, uh, uh, you know, from Russian uh, inputs in, into American elections. He knew about that three years in advance. He didn't disclose it. You know, shame on him. Yeah. And uh, and Mark really lost sight if he ever had a true north. And he decided it was all about him. He had a great co-partner uh, in Cheryl Sandberg. He pushed her aside. And today he's just, he, he, he's very articulate. And he says lots of impressive sounding things but he's never really fixed the core problem. Okay. What right does anyone have to take my information, my personal information, my healthcare information, and sell it to other people without my permission? I mean, that's a violation of privacy. He could easily fix that, but he won't. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it's a shame, but there are others. Uh, it's not just Matt. Elizabeth Holmes created a, a company that I knew was a phony when it started. It had to do with you could take a finger prick and replace the blood draw from your arm. Well, I'm on the board of Mayo Clinic. and can talk to the people there, but I know it's not going to work. And yet this whole company was built on a fraud. Now the poor woman's going to jail uh, because of that fraudulence. So, you know, you really have to think about she wanted to be a superstar, all powerful. She never knew what her true north was. And when you don't have your true north, you can be headed for trouble. Now, You can always find yourself, pull yourself out of that. And then discover your true north. And then it happens to some people.
1: Yeah. So I would call these emerging leaders, right? But it's the, they have never found their true north, or perhaps they had it and and lost it because again focused on or short term results or or serving the wrong people, serving themselves really.
0: Ah, that's key. That's key. Are you a servant leader? You're serving other people. Or Marcel, are they serving you? The people that work with me, are they there serving? No, no. My job is to serve them. Yeah. You got it backward.
1: Yeah. All right. So if I may, poster children for <laughs> the, the the opposite of leading with your true north. Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. Flip side, what are maybe two good examples of emerging leaders today that are actually leading with their true north?
0: Oh, we've got some fantastic leaders we talked to in the book. Uh, one of them, a uh, former student of mine, Rye Barcott, who was running an organization with honor. Now, Rye was running a highly successful company. He owned 50% of in the solar industry, say, you know, converting people to solar installations. He gave all that up, put it in a, in kind of in a freezer. And then he formed this organization because he said, we have this big problem of being separated. He's a military. He's a Marine. He said, I want to bring Republicans and Democrats together. And we need more military officers who put their life on, or military vets who put their life on the line. You formed this organization, raised $22 million, got a lot more people elected uh, that could do, you know, try to figure out solutions to problems, not just be at each other, uh, if you will, bring love to politics, which is not there anymore. And that's one example. Uh, uh, we have uh, some other fantastic uh, people in the book, John Hyman. Who saw the problem women have of wanting to look good and created rent the runway. And so women could rent clothes to go to the, the big party or a big ball. And then COVID hits and everything stops. No one's going anywhere. No one's going out to balls or anything. And she had to restructure her whole business model. Now coming back very nicely in doing that. So, uh, I, th- I think she is just terrific. So there are leaders we have for emerging leaders, John, Jonathan Lee Kelly. Uh, a person uh, that I had known some at Harvard Business School, he was tied up in making money with very wealthy Asian families to you know he felt he needed to come back home to Greensboro, where he's from. From Jonathan's black, and he trying to help a lot of black people get jobs. He's formed a company, basically providing food service to all kinds of restaurants and all, and bakeries. But, you know, Jonathan's the kind of guy, he's in principal. If I'm going to ask you to do some, I'll do it myself. So he said he's cleaned the feces in the toilet because if he's he can't do, can't ask his employees to unless he does it. So these are really the kind of real leaders I think we need today to step up and and be out there with people and be okay. They're not big names that you've heard of before, but they're doing the work. And uh, Melanie Hobson's another one fighting for equality of people independent of their race, so that we have uh, equal opportunities for people. who open the door she happens to be black, but letting people of, of color in, people of different nationalities. And so, and uh, frankly, a sexual identity. And so good for her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. We actually name drop the role models of, of, you know, true, true North type of leaders. Cause uh, uh, for my listeners, I want you guys to make sure that uh, I'm going to put every single one of those that Bill just dropped in our show notes so that with the websites attached so that you can visit them and find out more about them. So thanks for that, Bill. Um, Bill, so the natural transition in the leadership journey, as described in your book, is that, you know, once you examine your life story in detail and discover your true north, you're now prepared to develop yourself as an authentic leader. And which I I think that developmental process is really a journey. It's got various stages in it. So I want to uncover the elements of personal development. You have a compass, which I, I love the imagery of that as we seek to be more authentic. So Bill and I are going to do that quickly after a short break. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. If you haven't heard, my leadership development course is now in full swing and is getting great reviews. It's called From Boss to Leader. And if you like the theme of the podcast, you're gonna love this course. It's intended for emerging leaders and managers that wanna learn real leadership competencies. You know, the everyday stuff that you need in order to engage and inspire and motivate your team for high performance. This course has everything. You're gonna get videos, live coaching calls, a support community, exercises, downloads, and group processes to guide your growth. I would love to personally speak with you and get to know your current situation to see if you're a good fit for the course. To learn more about the From Boss to Leader course, visit my website, marcelschwantes.com and click on virtual training. Okay, Bill. You found some essential elements in a leader's personal development quest to be a more authentic leader. So unpack that for us.
0: Well, I think it starts with knowing who you are. That's your self awareness. And we mentioned some things you need to do through introspection. The other thing you need to do to gain self awareness, in addition to processing your life story and your crucibles, which is fundamental, is to get feedback mm-hmm. and successful leader, I call feedback the breakfast to champions like General, Mot- or General Mills calls Wheaties the practice champion. I think it's really important that you get honest feedback, have truth tellers around you and say, Bill, you thought things going well. You offended a lot of people. There. People will tell you what you don't want to hear. And I've had people around me that throughout my life that would do that. I never teach a course at Harvard Business School in which I don't get written feedback from every participant. Sometimes it's painful. But that's how you learn. So I think self-awareness is the key. The second is to practice your values. It's not just a values clarification exercise. It's knowing when you got off track and what you learned about yourself why. Why did I get seduced by that opportunity? Why did I take that promotion I didn't really want just because it was a bigger title or more money? And so you learn about your own values. You're tempted by you could get this big opportunity, you get this big order, but you have to pay. You have to do some inappropriate things that violate your company's principles. Integrity. So you learn what's really important in your values or how you offended someone. uh, You hurt their feelings without even intending to. So values are critical. Then I think for a lot of emerging leaders, what's really critical, and it took me 20 years to get there, 20 years to get to Medtronic, it's finding your sweet spot. Now, what is your sweet spot? It's a euphemistic term that says, your sweet spot's that place where you're highly motivated by what you do and you're really good at it. It plays to your strengths, and it plays to your passions. Why would we spend our lives in a job like that? I started doing Honeywell. And I wasn't passionate about the work, uh, although I was, I was good at it. Or why would you go into a job that you're not good at and try to stay and be in finance when you love to sell people things to make their lives better? So why not play to that? And then you create that, find yourself in that sweet spot. Like I said, it took me 20 years to get there because you have to rub up against the world and find out, where do I fit? What works? Is this the place I want to be? Is that the place? That's what's critical. And then, uh, and then finally, uh, I think you really need to have an integrated life. And people, I used to have students come to my classroom in the early 2000s. And say, oh, I had a hundred hour a week job. Really? And what were you doing? I was in the back room crunching numbers. Really? Is that how you want to spend your life? I know you're smart. That's not how you want to spend. Yes. I know they didn't want to spend their life that way. But they thought that's how they're going to hit. No, no. You need to have an integrated life. What's it mean to have an integrated life? Think of your life in four buckets. You've got your work life. You've got your, your family, your, your spouse and your kids, significant others, whomever. You've got your personal life. That's the introspection side. And then you've got your friends and the community. So are you nurturing all four of those buckets? Or are you just kind of pushing them aside and say, I'm going to work and get ahead? You know, I talked to a guy once at my father's generation. He said, "You know, my grand, my daughter graduated from high school last week. I never knew her. I don't know. I mean, that you don't get to make that up again. You know, that's why I coached soccer with my sons and and their teams for twelve years because I got to really be with them a lot doing that. So, but I think it's really important and having an integrated life. There's no such thing as Marcella's perfect balance." What really is important, I think, is to be that same person. Can I be the same person at home, at work, on the soccer field, in my community, as I am everywhere else? And if that's leading my life with integrity, that's leading an integrated life. And that comes from, you know, the word for integrity comes from the French word cure, which is the heart. And so that's really the heart of life. You lead with the heart in every environment and be that same person you'll have a much more fulfilling life. And I had to change my life at about 34 to wipe out all those different ways of being and be the same person.
1: I agree. And I had to do the same, Bill. I I used to live a very compartmentalized life versus integrative life. So I used to check in parts of me at the door uh, on Monday morning, right at 9 9 a.m. And sometimes Integrity was the one that suffered. Uh, and I think that was indicative of the culture that I was in at the time some, some 20 years ago. But, you know, one
0: thing about that, I try to encourage young leaders to think about, you know, if you if you live in an organization, if you're working with people that are essentially bad people and disagree, they may be smart as heck, but, you know, they have totally different values and they treat people poorly, say it's in they abuse women or whatever it is it's going to rub off on you. So you've got to, like you did, Marcel, you've got to move on and do where you should really be. That's why I had to move on. Honeywell didn't have bad values. They just forced you to check your passions at the door. You know, like mm-hmm. you, you sure wouldn't use the word love in the workplace. Well, I wanted to be a place that we could. I love working with you because we can make a difference in people's lives. That was metronic.
1: Huh, that's great. So tell me if I'm tracking here with this this evolution of, of becoming a true north leader. Okay, so we've got the the um discovering yourself and and you know really finding out about your history and what makes you tick and 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 then we've cultivated those four things self-awareness we've developed our values we found our sweet spot and and now we integrated our life and now what do we do with that so the next step for me is, and it's covered in your book, is that you put it all into practice by leading other people, right? So now you, you've moved from self-leadership to team leadership. Is that is that sort of a, the, the right track here?
0: Yeah, but the self-leadership to team leadership is a tougher journey than you think. It's what a, the I to we journey. And uh, again, we talked earlier about servant leadership. Now, the father of servant leadership, Robert Greenleaf, Came to my classroom when I was running a seminar at Harvard Business School back in the late 60s, and he talked about serving leadership. It's you know, it's being there for other people, allowing serving them so they can reach their full potential. And to me, that's what I'd like to think my leadership is about. But to do that, you've got to make this I to we journey. So you know, when you're when you're young, it's you know, you it's the I that's getting you into good grades in high school and good grades on tests and. Getting into the right college and then getting the right job. And then you're an individual contributor. But if you're going to be a leader, you got to make that journey and you got to flip the whole script and realize it's not about you. You're there to serve the people you work with. So instead of thinking yourself on top of the organization, think yourself down here, customers up here, employees up here. Your job is to serve them. When you get that, then you can bring the people together around a common purpose. And that's your North Star, my, my North Star. Is enabling people to reach their full potential. Well, you may do that in different environments, like I did at Medtronic, and then the company has a purpose. And can you find an alignment? I could find a perfect alignment at Medtronic uh, between the idea of restoring people to full life and health and expanding that number from you know three hundred thousand to ten million. That was a big deal. Uh, but you know, people are not going to align with uh, the old way of thinking about the GE way of making money. You know, no one, I'll tell you, no one to work for Metronics are going to get excited about making 391 a share. That was the end result. That's like how we won the game. We won the game because everyone was in their sweet spot and they played together as a team, which gets me to the key thing as a leader. And, uh, I'd like to change in this book, emerging leaders to get all of the people listening to think of themselves as coaches of other people to be a leader of leader, not, and, and as coach, you're very empowering of people. And we actually created an acronym. And I think number one is close to your word love. And you have to show you care about your people. They are not going to be inspired. They won't give you their whole selves. They might give you their brains. They won't give you their, their hearts until they know you care about them. And then as we've talked about, it's organizing them. So everyone's in their sweet spot. And then bringing them together to play as a team. That's the alignment around mission and values. So you know you're comfortable. We share common values. We know we play fair, whatever it is. And then the second C in, in the acronym COACH is CHALLENGE. Now, that may strike people as off, but no, we challenge people to do their very best. What great coach do you have? I remember Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, they just retiring, one of the great, bas- greatest college basketball coach of all time. I had one of his students in my class and he was never a day when Coach K wasn't in my mouth. face yelling at me saying, Matt, you can do better. You can do better. Yeah. You don't have to yell at people, but you can encourage them. To, Let me show you how I can do better. And that leads to the final uh, H, which is help. You need to get down and work with your people. That was a Jonathan Lee Kelly story. Let's get down and work in the store. Let's help people solve problems. The great Roy Vagelis from Merck used to get together and help his scientists solve technical problems. That's what you do. You help people. You go out in the front lines and you support them. You help them when they're having tough times. People have difficult times in their life. You say, of course, take time off. Get your health back. Or your wife has to go to the hospital. Of course, be there for her. That's what coaches do. And I think if yes. we could get everyone up to think about ourselves as coaches, not directors. Now, you do this, you do that, you do that. I'll sit back and see how you do and judge you. No, it's not like that. That's the big change from the baby boomer leaders to the emerging leaders today, which, by the way, I include Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z. So definitely Gen X. I think Gen X and Millennials are quite closely aligned around these points.
1: Yeah, that's great, Bill. And I think for me is that you still have to have that fundamental shift from self-centeredness to other-centeredness, right? That That's the shift that needs to take place.
0: I do we. I do we. And that's what it really is. And so it's not all about you and you got to realize that and sometimes you think it is early on and uh, but you know the we can do a heck of a lot more in any organization than i can directing you what to do
1: yeah you know speaking of coaching uh, i some people may think i just don't have the time to even coach i have too many employees etc and it reminds me of the uh well the interview i had with uh, douglas conant the former ceo of Campbell soup right he wrote the book touch points and 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 uh, Doug talks about touch points being these, these micro coaching moments throughout the day. We all have interactions, right, throughout the day with our employees. And it's something as short as 30 seconds to two minutes where you kind of nudge people in the right direction. That is a coaching moment for you right there, folks.
0: Doug is a great leader, a close friend. We work closely together, and I think he's doing great things. So we need more role models like that. And he's working a lot, as I am with the the emerging leader generations.
1: Bill, you uh, end your book with a section on navigating today's challenges. And there's, you know, there's this whole movement now towards more diversity and equity and inclusion, which uh, I was telling you earlier that I feel is just lip service for a lot of organizations. It's tick the box, right? So, and you say this, and I'm, I'm quoting Bill now, folks. <laughs> Too many organizations focus on diversity and equity goals without doing the difficult work to build radically inclusive cultures. So, what's the starting point?
0: Well, uh, I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'll give you the starting point. Uh, I was on the board of Goldman Sachs for seven years in 1918 years and uh we, every year we would have a session how we're doing at diversity and the hr people would come in and say you know we've gone from uh we've gone from 17.1% female managers to 18.2 and we've gone from bipoc employees from 9.1 to 10.4 i said i finally got upset i said you know this is all nonsense why is it that no women and no people of color have ever reached have ever run a business here Maybe even staff roles. Why do they never run a business? Well, 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 they all quit. And I said, you know why they quit? Because they don't feel included. Are you creating an inclusive environment where I can be myself? I don't want to play the game that maybe the males on the trading floor do. I want to be myself. I want to create that sense. You have to create a sense of belonging. We belong here and I feel fully included. If I don't feel fully included, I'm not giving you my heart. I can tell you that. I'm not going to give you my best self. And so we have to create fully inclusive environments. And I think that's what the great leaders today are doing. Something like Ursula Burns at Xerox has done that. She's now advocating for that. <laughs> you know, she has a funny story she tells in the book. She said, you know, it was ridiculous that when I became CEO of Xerox, all I could talk about the first black C- female CEO. She said, you know, I, w- I have two degrees from MIT. I worked here 28 years. I held every line job in the company. I earned the job as CEO, and then they say she got there because she's a black female CEO. She said, I didn't come out of a circus side show. I earned this. Well, good for her, you know? And Beth Ford, who's the first another person in the book who CEO Landa Lakes, uh, first openly gay female CEO. She said, Look, when I show up, I don't show up as the, the gay CEO or the female CEO. I show up as CEO and I'm here to help all these farmers who own our companies have good fulfilling lives and good flourishing businesses. So these are people that understand inclusion and what it really means. And so that's what we have to have. Yeah, you need diversity, but that's necessary, but that's not sufficient. And if you can create an environment where I feel, I don't want to feel like I'm an outcast because I didn't take the training program here at Honeywell 22 and come up with you, Marcel, or I don't want to feel like an outcast because I immigrated here with my family from, you know, from China or from India. No, I want to feel like I'm fully a part of this organization. And when you can do that, you've created that inclusive workplace, which I think is, is critical to what we're trying to do.
1: I love it. So I want to end with your last chapter um, on the moral leader, which I, I think is a good good way to come full circle with discovering your true north. So one of the tenets of being a moral leader is being a force for good in the world and and you know addressing some of society's greatest challenges that we find today but yeah here's the thing bill some leaders they hold back from getting involved in social issues because you know there's fear there there's protecting reputation and and stakeholders and all that so so the question then is when should leaders decide to take on public issues
0: the number one question that CEOs are asking today. We just had 42 CEOs. I was teaching a class on this. When should I gauge? When should I engage in a public issue? I know that a certain percentage of my customers will hate no matter what I say. <clears throat> and I say it all comes down to your purpose, if you will, and your values. And when those are violated, your company's purpose and its val- you need to stand up. I'll give you a great leader. Uh, one of the greatest leaders in today's world, uh, just retired as CEO of Merck, Ken Frazier. Ken Frazier is the grandson of a slave who was raised, his grandfather was born in North in South Carolina. His grandfather got him out of there, lived in the poorest area of Philadelphia where Ken grew up. A very tough life. Grandfather, his father never made more than 20000 a year. But he said, my father was the most important thing in my life because he sought me Kenny, you need to do what you need to do to follow your values. Don't worry about what other people think of you. He said that's the most important thing. He carried that at Merck. And he had a very courageous time in 2017 when there was, if you will, the demonstrations in Charlottesville. And there was some equation of everything. And he got very offended. And he put out a statement resigning from President Trump's council. Now, in doing that, he recognized that everything Merck did was dependent on the federal government. All their pricing of their drugs, getting new drugs approved. Frankly, they could recall any drug anytime they want, like they did with Vioxx. So, but he, he made a statement on a Monday morning, a very public statement. He said, America is based upon the principle. All people are created equal, endowed by our creator with principle to pursue a life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. And we treat people as equal. What does that mean? It means, and he went on to talk about that, a man of great courage. Today, he was challenging voting laws. He said he believes in democracy. So do I. He said, without democracy, capitalism cannot survive. Do you want capitalism like we have in Russia? Do you want, with oligarchs, do you want capitalism like in China, where a great leader like Jack Ma gets hauled in and and disappears for two months? No, you want freedom to build your company. American capitalism is the backbone of our economy. We need to do it well. It can go off track like it in 2008, but I think we need to do it well. So Ken is a great moral leader. He stands for something. Another one is, is Chip Berg out of Levi's, who stands for gun safety. He said, these are my customers. These girls are scared to death of getting shot in school. And so I need to stand behind them. We have 60% female employees. I'm going to say that uh, women's rights are a right for everyone to have the chance To control themselves and so he'd spoken out on behalf of that and said this is a business issue are we going to take care of our employees these are 60 percent of my employees and so i think today's leaders need to be caring about their people about the challenges they have and show that love for them in the workplace and not say oh that makes me vulnerable no no i can say i love you but you need to do better but to be there for me when times are really tough when you lose your job when it's Remember, your family died. Are you there for people? And that's key to any leader today. And that's what a moral leader does. They take a cause and they say, this is what I'm going to get behind. And this is what I'm going to represent. Like at Medtronic, we worked on healthcare. Now I'm trying to work on leadership.
1: Yeah, yeah. Bill, as we wind down here, I posed you the leadership love question. It's tradition on this show. So of of all the ideas discussed, or maybe something we have not even covered yet, in your own words, how do we lead as leaders with love day in and day out? We show people we care about them.
0: We're there for them when they go through tough times. I remember when my fiancee died, the uh, secretary of the Navy came up, who was my boss, and he put his arm around me. I can still feel that arm around me saying, Bill, I'm so sorry you had to go through such tragedy and you had to learn such at such a young age, because I was 26, what life is all about. And it can be very tough. And- That caring when we're there for people. I remember uh, an employee, one of my most senior executive at Medtronic, he had lost his son. His son had disappeared. And he called me and said, my son, Zach, has come back. He's in the hospital. And he has terminal uh, stomach cancer. I said, Steve, I'll be right there. And I got in my car and drove to some hospital. And I was scared to walk down the hall seeing what I was going to see. And And he came out in the hall and we had a big hug. But you got to be there for people when they go through tough times. That's love. That's how you express love. It's not, oh, we all love each other because we won the football game. No, no. We, it's when we're going through rough times. We love right. each other. And we express that love. And by the way, people never forget that. I know my company cares about me because they were there when I went through a really hard time. They didn't fire me. They, did, they let me have that time off to uh, whatever it is, take care of my wife who's having cancer, to get my own treatments, whatever. Uh, that's so critical
1: bill i don't know when the next time will be that i'm going to speak to you so i don't want to leave any important stone unturned so is there any question i should have asked but didn't that that we must touch on well if i have one thing i feel passionately about you know it's a big world out there marcel
0: and i appreciate you reaching out to so many people because my big fear is you write a book uh for emerging leaders how do we get above the noise level where there's so much negativity in our economy and say hey you can make a difference. And so my great hope and prayer with this book is to get out there and really uh, help other people, but they got to read the book first. They have to, you know, they have to absorb it. And that's my great hope that they will do that. And it can have a transformative effect uh, on people and, you know, maybe just one stone in the water, but it's a, it's a stone, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Bill, we bring it home traditionally on the show with two final questions here. They are personally, What's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know?
0: Well, it was that last thing I just said. (laughs) What's at my heart right now is, I believe so passionately in these ideas, Marcel, how do we get people to really adopt them? Yeah. And how do we create it? What what tugs in my heart is the conflict we have are at each other's throat. Are you blue? Are you red? This is all over the world. We got bad stuff going on. I want to get rid of all the toxic leaders that are leading with such negativity. And bring people in that realize that love in the workplace, caring in the workplace, is what makes the world go round. If we can do that, then I just hope and pray we can get there. But uh, that's what's talking to me right now. Mm,
1: Okay, that may have been a good closing remark, but we always let you, our guest, finish off with uh, a closing moment or a key takeaway to keep us inspired. So you have the mic.
0: Well, I hope that this will serve as a clarion call to every emerging leader. And by the way, those baby boomers who have mentees and have sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters to inspire them to come together and make this world a better place. Why are we placed here on earth? To make a difference in the world. Pick your spot, how you can make a difference. And I hope every emerging leader listening to this, this uh, cast will step up and really find their 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 sweet spot to make a difference in the world.
1: The book, again, is called True North, The Emerging Leader Edition. It is co-written with Zach Clayton. Bill, if people want to connect with you and learn more about you, where can they go?
0: Billgeorge.org, just all one word, dot eorg Got a website that tells you. And of course, you can buy the book on Amazon.com or Porchlight Books, uh, or we'll guide you indirectly. I just like to connect with you, you know, sign on to LinkedIn, too, uh, so we can. I always respond. Every comment I get on LinkedIn,
1: I try to respond to. It's been a true honor connecting with you finally. And uh, we're all better for it. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you, Love in Action Tribe, for joining the conversation. And uh, you know, you can keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag Love in Action podcast. And look for my show notes on my website, marcellschwantes.com. All those names that were dropped will be in there plus Bill's contact info. And finally, hey, we're always looking for sponsors to help spread this love in action movement globally. So if you have an interest, you can reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.